scriptures. We call this the read and rant. I call it a rant. We read, of course, that's the obvious thing. And then I call it a rant because, again, I don't know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm simply, I don't have anything prepared. I'm simply going to read and then I'm going to reflect on the scriptures. And the three questions that we're going to ask as we reflect, because our posture here is not Bible study posture, which you guys were here last night for, which I pray was a blessing to you as we did a Bible study on Revelation. Um, and we'll continue the Bible study next Tuesday. But... What I want this to be is more of a reflection. We just want to reflect on the text. And and so to put ourselves in a posture of reflection, to submit ourselves to Christ um, in our time in reading is to ask three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning me? And God, what are you revealing concerning people? Um, Aaliyah, I want to help you out with that. So afterwards, we can talk a little bit more after our read and rant. But I do want to uh, um, help you out with that as well. So God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? And God, what are you revealing concerning me? And that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to engage in the word. Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, Lord, as we dig in. Father, as we dig into your word, your words are food for our spirit. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would be nourished today. Lord, that we receive, Lord, our quotidian bread, our daily bread in the reading of your word. So bless us, Lord. Give us grace today, Lord, as we read this. Let it not be our wisdom, Lord, that is being imputed on this text. But Father, we ask, Lord, that your wisdom would be imparted on us as we engage in it. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen and amen. We're we're in John we're in Job 25. I'm going to be reading. You guys can read along with me. I'll spend about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes today. Um, and then afterwards we'll spend some time in reflection. Let's dig in. Verse one. Then Bildad the shoe, I answered and said, Dominion and fear belong to him. He makes peace in his high places. Is there any number to his army? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be righteous before God? Or how can he be pure who is born of a woman? Even if the moon does not shine and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is a maggot, a son of man who is a worm? (coughs) But Job answered and said, how have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? How have you declared sound advice to many? To whom have you uttered words? And whose spirit came from you? The dead tremble. Those under the waters and those inhabited them. Sheol is naked before him and destruction has no covering. He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his cloud over it. My goodness, the scientific wisdom here. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his rebuke. He stirs up the sea with his power. And by his understanding, he breaks the storm. By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. 
his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways. And how small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, who can understand? Moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, as God lives, who has taken away my justice and the almighty who has made my soul bitter? As long as my breath is in me and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will put, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. May my enemy be like the wicked and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite? Though he may gain much, if God takes away his life, will God hear his cry when the trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? I will teach you about the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with complete nonsense? This is the portion of a wicked man with God. And the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty, if his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. And if his offspring shall not be satisfied with bread, those who survive him shall be buried in death. And their widows shall not weep, though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay. He may pile up, but the, but the just will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth which the watchman makes. The rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes, and he is no more. Terror overtakes him like a flood, and the tempest steals him away in the night. The east wind carries him away, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. Surely there is a mine for silver, and a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth, and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness, and searches every recess, for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. He breaks open a shaft away from the people, in places forgotten by feet, they hang far away from me. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, from it comes bread. and But underneath it is turned up by fire. Its stones are the sources of sapphire and contains gold dust. That path no bird knows, nor has the falcon I see, see it or seen it. The proud lion have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes, his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the string, the streams from tickling. What is hidden he brings forth to light. But what can wisdom be found? Sorry. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Hmm. Man does not know its value nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. The sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be 
purchased for gold, nor can it, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx and sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. No mention be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. Hmm. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say, we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees under the whole heavens to establish the weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain, and a path for the thunderbolt. Then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. And to man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. (sighs) Job further continues his discourse and says, oh, that I were as in months past as of the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head, and when his light I walked through darkness, just as I was in the days of my prime, when the friendly counsel of God was over my tent, when the Almighty yet with me, when the children were around me, when my steps were bathed with cream, and the rock poured out rivers of oil for me, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the open square, The young men saw me and hid, and the aged arose and stood. The princes refrained from talking and put their hand on their mouth. The voices of nobles were hushed, and their tongues struck the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw, then it approved me. Because I delivered the poor who cried out, the fatherless and the one who had no helper, the blessing of the perishing man came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Then I said, I shall die my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me and my bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they did not speak again and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain, and they opened their mouth wide as for the spring rain. If I mocked at them, they did not believe it, and the light of the countenance they did not cast down. I chose the way for them and sat as chief, so I dwelt as a king in the army, as one who comforts mourners. But now they mock at me men younger than I, whose fathers I disdained to put with the dogs of my flocks. Indeed, 
What profit is the strength of their hands to me? Their vigor has perished. They are gaunt from want and famine, fleeing late in the wilderness, desolate and waste, who pluck mallow by the bushes and broom tree roots for their food. They were driven out from among men. They shouted at them as at a thief. They had to live in the clefts of the valleys and the caves of the earth and the rocks. Among the bushes they brayed, under the nettles they nestled. They were the sons of fools. Yes, sons of vile men. They were scourged from the land, and now I am their taunting song. Yes, I am their byword. They abhor me. They keep far from me. They do not hesitate to spit my face because he has loosened my bowstring and afflicted me. They have cast off restraint before me. At my right hand, the rabble rises. They push away my feet, and they raise against me their ways of destruction. They break up my path. They promote my calamity. They have no helper. They come as a brood breakers. They come as, sorry, they come as brood breakers. Under the ruinous storm, they roll along. Terrors are turned up upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind, and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. And now my son is poured out because of my plight. My soul, sorry, is poured out because of my plight. The days of affliction take hold of me. My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By great force, my garment is disfigured. It binds me as the collar of my coat. He has cast me into the mire, and I have become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you, but you do not answer me. I stand up, and you regard me. But you have become cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success. For I know that I that you will bring me to death in the house appointed for all the living. Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cried out and destroy it. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? But when I looked for good, evil came to me. And when I waited for light, then came darkness. My heart is in turmoil and I cannot rest. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning, but not in the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I am a brother of jackals, a companion of ostriches. My skin grows black and falls from me. My bones burn with fever. My harp is turned to mourning, my flute to the voice of those who weep. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is a lot, for what is the allotment of God from above and in the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? Have I walked with falsehood? Or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales, that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if my spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Let my harvest be rooted out if my soul be enticed by a woman 
Or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her. For that would be wickedness. Yes, yes, it would be iniquity deserving of justice or sorry, of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes the destruction and would root out my increase. If I have despised the cause of my male or female servant, when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widows to fall or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it. But from my youth, I reared him as a father and from my mother's womb, I guided him. So I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me and if he is not warmed with any fleece of my sheep, If I have raised my hand against the fatherless, when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder. Let my arm be torn from the socket, for destruction from God is a terror to me. And because of his magnificence, I cannot endure. If I have made gold my hope, or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, And because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment. For I would have denied God who is above. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when I, when evil found him, indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for the curse of his soul. If a man of my tent have not said, who is there, that he has not been satisfied with his meat, but no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. If I have covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of families, so that I kept silence did not go and did not go out to the door. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me, that my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps like a prince. I would reproach him. If my land cries out against me and its furrows, Weep together if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. The words of Job are ended. Um, The book of Job, as I had mentioned to you guys uh, yesterday on our last session together, the book of Job is, um, it's a poetic book. It's a poetic book. Um, But it's a book also concerning wisdom. 
It is wise prose. Poetry. Poetry that articulates wisdom, but articulating wisdom within the context of suffering. If anybody is going through a season in which they find themselves in profound discomfort or find themselves suffering or find themselves really just dealing and confronting with what isn't working right or aligning in their lives, Job is a good book to read. And if it's your first time coming together to read with me, I would encourage you to go back and read through the book of Job and maybe even go through the read and rants that we've had in the prior episodes because I think it's important for us to understand the wisdom that is um, cultivated, the wisdom that is birthed out of suffering. Um, Job, as we know, is suffering. Job has experienced almost every form of suffering you can think of. He's lost all his children. His marriage is in shambles. He's lost his resources. He's lost his wealth. Everything is falling apart for him. And not only has he lost his wealth, but he's also lost his health. And so Job now is experiencing pain and suffering in every form, in every dimension. It's a, it's a loss of everything. And so now we see how a man who at the beginning of the book is declared to be righteous now navigates through the season of suffering. Again, what we talked about, we've talked about before, is that um, righteousness does not, uh, uh, if you are righteous, you're not immune to suffering. Righteous people are not immune to pain. Righteous people are not immune to hurt. Is everybody understanding that? And so we see a man who is righteous, who's declared to be righteous, and yet he is suffering. And we see his suffering and, and the consequences of his suffering. And Job now is preparing his next phase of defense. He's going back and forth. Again, this is poetry. And so because it's poetry, when we read Job, we have to read the art that is the book of Job. Because the book of Job is actually a work of art. That's how the Hebrews would have read it. And reading it as a work of art, we learn the many dimensions of art. That art is to be enjoyed for what it is, but it's to also be um, reflective and introspective because art speaks to us and speaks to the soul and speaks to the heart and speaks to the mind. And yet we're seeing profound truth about God even in this art. And this is why this art is here. As I told you before, that Job transpires during the patriarchal or the patriarchal era. The patriarchal era is the era of, Mo of Noah before Abraham. And so Job is one of the early characters in the Bible. The only few characters maybe that had preceded Job is um, Adam and Eve, the stories of Adam and Eve or the stories of Cain and Abel. These are the only ones that preceded Job. But aside from that, Job is not a Hebrew man. Job is not, um, he, he's, he's not considered the chosen people of God, not, not in the way that, we, that, that is articulated in the Bible. Job is a man, a patriarch one who's declared to be righteous. 
And yet the Hebrew writer who's writing this story is again putting on paper a an oral recount of this poetic story of Job. And he's recounting this for the necessity of revealing a profound truth that simply comes out of the wisdom that comes from suffering. Because you see, this Hebrew man who's writing it is likely to be writing it in a time when the Hebrew people were experiencing suffering. When the Hebrew people were experiencing exile, where the Hebrew people had fallen into sin, and in falling into sin now, they're trying to now navigate through whether or not it's their sin that has caused this. And if it is their sin that has caused this, which sin is it? And how can they find rightness in in the presence of God? How can they find righteousness in the presence of God? Because if they're righteous— then they would be released of this suffering that they're experiencing. Ah, but what the author of Hebrews is doing is he's speaking to something much more profound. That righteousness is not found in the compliance to the law and obedience to the law because Job is declared righteous even though there was no Hebraic law and even though there was no Mosaic law. And for all accounts, Job is expressing here the kind of person that he's, he is and how much he knows God and loves God. And yet Job is suffering. And so that writer of Hebrews, oh, sorry, the Hebrew writer, not the writer of Hebrews, but the Hebrew writer who's writing this book of Job is writing to a people who's asking the question, why are we going through this? And I'm sure there are many of us here who are confronted with that question. Like, why am I going through some of the stuff that I'm going through? Why am I experiencing the pain that I'm experiencing? Why am I dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing with? And so we read this poem. That is the book of Job. This long poem. This long poetic piece of art. And in it, we begin to really draw out who God is and who we are and how suffering fits within the great story of God. I want to say this, and it's important for the person in here who may be profoundly discouraged even in the midst of suffering, who's tired in the midst of suffering, understand that God's plan has suffering in it. That in the brokenness of all things, suffering became a part of all things, and it's through suffering that we see the redemption of all things. Remember that it was suffering that brought healing. It was suffering that brought breakthrough. It was suffering that brought redemption. It is the suffering of Jesus Christ that brought the healing of many. And so from here on out, suffering is a part of God's plan. In Genesis chapter 3, in consequence to Eve's sin, it's her suffering that births children. Pain is productive. Wow. That's different. 
when we think of pain, we think of pain as being destructive. But for a person who's in Christ, pain is actually productive. Pain produces things. Pain makes things. I know it's that statement that sometimes we, we use, but we, we take it very lightly, but it's, it's a true statement when we say no pain, no gain. In Christ, there's never pain is never a waste. Pain is never a waste. And that's why we can say with the confidence that we read in Romans when he says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed because we know that suffering is not the end. Suffering is what happens in the middle. And so if we're trying to ask the question of how do we confront our suffering How do we deal with pain? What do we do when we're experiencing pain? We can read Job. In the book of Job, we begin to understand how we ought to navigate through pain. How one who is declared to be righteous navigates through pain. And to be quite frank with you, y'all, it's kind of messy. It's messy. At one point, Job is blaming God. At another point, Job is defending himself to his friends. He goes from defending God to blaming God. He goes from blaming God to wanting to die. Then he goes from wanting to die to saying, God, you know, be glorified in this. And so we see Job is is messy. And that's the beauty of relationship. The beauty of relationship is that it's messy. It's messy. You know, I, and I've said this before, and I think it's important for me to iterate this, and I'll iterate this over and over again, is I, I, I truly believe this, that th- this generation, we don't know how to deal with suffering. And because we don't know how to process and deal with suffering, we find that the most convenient way to get past suffering is to find other ways to escape it. And so we look to escape it rather than sitting in it and dwelling in it and seeking God in it. Suffering, I've found for this generation, is what draws people away from God. When what suffering ought to do is to draw you closer to God. The fellowship of his suffering. When we suffer, we often fall into the temptation to suffer alone. And so we abscond to our own little place, find our own little way of escaping it when we don't see the opportunity of suffering in that we bring it to God. Because God, I'm sorry if I say this, and I'm I'm ranting, and I'm going to get to my point, but I feel like I just need to work this part out, is, is that God is not an idea And God is also not this authoritative figure who we simply come to, you know, when we need forgiveness for our sins. And God is not, you know, the angry uncle or the angry father, but he's a loving father who loves you and wants to dwell with you and be in relationship with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants to fellowship with you. 
but we don't see him that way. Maybe it's because of how God has been taught to us. Maybe it's because how God has been articulated to us. But for many of us, when we come to God, we don't come to him as a father. And it may be because of maybe the relationships that we've had with our fathers. Maybe it's because of how God has been taught to us. There's so many reasons, and I don't want to get into all all, all the minutia of it all, but at least we can confront this reality. We don't come to God as a father. We don't actually see him as a father. We may see him as powerful. We may see him as a creator. We may see him as king. We may see him as sovereign. We may see him as an authority. We may see him as all these things. But do we actually see him as our father? And that we are his children. And that we can dwell with him as his children. And that God can be a safe place for us. Not a genie who's here just to give us the stuff that we want and who's here to make everything right and who's here. No, no, not a, not a genie, but a safe place. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven. And because we don't see God as a safe place, I'm just going to go slow here. I need to work this because there's some people right now who are suffering and your time in suffering is actually your time distant from God. We have a tendency to move and walk away from God when we're actually going through it. Because he can't be a father. Ah, but if God is a father, I don't know if anybody got kids in here. Anybody got kids in here? <laughs> Plenty of us here who have kids. Have you ever seen this? And I feel like I got to point this out, but has anyone ever seen this? And it's, just a, it's a peculiar thing. It's a peculiar thing when we see our kids with... <sighs> it's interesting it's interesting seeing the way our kids are around people and the way our kids are in private. And you notice that kids have a tendency to behave and to act a certain way uh, when they're around people. But then it's when they're alone around you, that's when they start to act up. That's when they start to show their attitude. That's when they start to, and then that's when we really have to deal with them because we know who they actually are. Isn't it funny how our kids will, they'll start misbehaving and start acting up when they're around their parents. But when they're around grandma and grandpa, they're great. When they're around people, fam, fam, you know, family and friends, they're great. But around their parents, that's when they start acting up. It's like, why are you acting like this now, son? Why, why is my son acting up when he's around me? But when he's around everybody else, he's okay. Why is my daughter acting up when she's around me? But when she's around everybody else, she's okay. You ever wonder that? Have you ever thought for a moment that the reason why your son acts up when he's around you or your daughter acts up when she's around you is because they see you as their loving parents? 
Have you ever thought that maybe you're a safe place? And because you're a safe place, they can actually be what they're actually feeling and expressing. <laughs> Manipulative little creatures they are. <laughs> That's exactly right. Manipulative little creatures they are. Your kids will act up when they're around you, when they're alone with you. But when they're around people, they're the best behaving kids you'll ever meet. They're like, the, they're like angels. They're like angels when they're around people. When you're not around, they act perfectly. Ah, but then when they're around you, oh, that's when they start acting up. Have you ever thought that the reason why they come is because you are a safe place? It's actually because they know you love them, that they can actually emote and express how they really feel in the moment that they feel it. Isn't it interesting how we're not that way with God? No, 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 we behave in front of God. But when you really see God as your father, as your loving father, there are some times where you need to act up and God can be the safe place for you to act up and to come with him with how you really feel. But for many of us, we don't feel like we can actually come to God with our struggle and feel like we can come to God with how we really feel about what's really going on. Ah, and so um, I, I feel like God is, 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 is punishing me, but I can't tell God that. And I feel like th this, is, this isn't the way that I should go to, but I can't tell God that because I'd be trying God and I'd be offending him. But there's some people who know that there are times where you just need a moment to act up. That's the beauty of God. God loves us no matter what. God loves us unconditionally, and he is our father. Whether you act up or not, he loves you. And sometimes there's some stuff you need to do and to get out. And there's some things you need to vent and some things that you're angry about. And maybe you're even mad at God. So vent. Go to God and express your frustration. Vent. Because God is a safe place. He's not going to love you less. He's your father. Your heavenly father. And I promise you, when you finally come to him with what you're feeling, you'll find healing in the midst of that. You'll find healing, family. Some of us just need to go to God and vent. And we see Job in the wisdom of Job, in the midst of his suffering, he says, I cry. Look at Job 30, verse 20. I cry to you and you do not answer me. I stand up and you regard me. But you have been cruel to me. With the strength of your hand, you oppose me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride on it. You spoil my success. Job almost sounds like a brat. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house appointed for the living. 
Surely he would not stretch out his hand against a heap of ruins if they cried out and destroyed it. Have I not wept for him who was in trouble? He's venting, y'all. And who is he venting to? To God. This is the righteous man. But right now, Job is saying, I don't like what I'm going through. Verse 15, terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor like the wind. Job is contrasting. Life was so good. And all of a sudden, life turned around and flipped upside down. And I'm frustrated. And I'm angry. And then he says in verse 28, this also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for I would have denied God who is above. I've never done you wrong. That's what Job is saying. I, I, I've never, I, I, I've been doing the best that I could, but here you are punishing me because that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, and so now Job is going through, tell me what I did, God. Just tell me what I did so I can ask, so I can, so I can apologize for it. <laughs> And he's wrestling and he's wrestling and he's wrestling and he's wrestling and he's wrestling. He's going through pain. And as he's discoursing with God, as he's getting to the close of his discourse, it ends with the words, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let the thistles grow instead of the wheat and the weeds instead of the barley. The words of Job are ended. Here is where we get to. And there are two things I want to close with today. And I want you to pay very, very close attention to this. Because suffering is productive. Suffering teaches you things. Before our very eyes, we're seeing Job being sanctified and purified in his suffering. It sucks, but it's necessary because Job now is emptying himself of all the things that he had attached himself to that made him anything of value and of worth. Job had a great reputation. That must have been connected to his righteousness. Job had money and wealth. He must be good because he's got money and wealth. Job has, has a voice and authority and influence. So he must be righteous because he has influence. Job has all these things. These are all the things that people would equate to righteousness. And Job, Job has all these things. And if you notice here, Job is holding on to these things. He's holding on to these things because these are the things that make people know that I'm good with you, God. Job is saying, among the young men, I had, he, he speaks about his authority and his wisdom and all the things that he had and how all those things were attached to his identity. Job's identity was attached to his reputation and attached to his success and attached to his family and all the identity. Notice that, guys. Pay very, very close attention. 
because here's where Job becomes purified. Is now Job says, if I've walked in falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. Now Job is going, let me stop measuring how culture and society says about what makes me righteous. Now let God measure me. If my step has turned from the way or my heart has walked after my eyes or if any spot adheres to my hands, let them sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. You know what? God, you can have it all. This is the beginning of Job's breakthrough. This is where Job says, I was never identified by my money. It was never by how good my marriage was. It was never about how many kids I had. It was never about the, the accolades and the titles. And the, it was never about any of that. I am who I am based off of who God has called me to be. Let God determine this, not, not humanity, not mankind, but let God determine it. And yet, even though God sees him as righteous, Job has not yet seen it until he loses it all. And at this point, Job is giving it all up to God. God, I give you my reputation. God, I give you my my marriage. God, I give it, I just release it all to you. Whatever people say about me, it doesn't matter. You judge that now. Whatever's happening to my body, Lord, it's yours. You can have it. Lord, if I make another dollar and somehow that money in some way causes pain or suffering for another person, or if the resource or if any form of success somehow draws me away from you, then you know what? Forget that too. And all of a sudden, what we're beginning to see, just read that chapter one more time. Job 31 is so powerful. Because what Job 31 is doing is, is Job 31 is revealing to us that Job is being stripped now of his identity to those things. Job has lost everything. And it's upon losing everything that Job is about to find everything. I want to say this to somebody. Because there are those of us who are holding on to our money, holding on to our degrees, our accolades, holding on to our titles, holding on to our awards, holding on to whatever culture or society thinks about us. And we're holding on to it tight because our identities are attached to those things. There is no blessing greater 
than the man or the woman who loses everything and still discovers their identity with nothing in hand. Because when you lose everything, that is the privilege for you to truly find who you are. Thank God for those who lose everything. The blessing of losing everything is that if you find yourself when you have nothing, no title, no money, no marriage, no, no, no nothing. The blessing in it is when you discover who you are in it, then you cannot be defined by anything other than what you've discovered when you had nothing. This is the beauty of surrender. It's when you finally surrender everything to God. You give it all up to God, then you will discover who you really are. Because you are not defined by your marriage. You are not defined by your money. You are not defined by your mansions. You are not defined by your title. You're not defined by your assets. You're not defined by your business. You're not defined by any of that. And it's when you lose all of that that you truly discover who you are. There are those of us here who have lost everything. And it's when we lost everything, we found ourselves. And the blessing of that is, is that when you lost everything and found yourself, you have found everything. The most wealthy person in the world is not the one with the most money. The most wealthy person in the world is the one who discovers who they are. And when you have nothing and you discover your identity, huh, nothing can take that away. It isn't a transferable asset and it isn't a economically computable asset. It's priceless, priceless. The beauty of losing everything is that you can't fear anything anymore. And so it's in the midst of losing everything, even losing his health, that Job finally discovers, I'm not any of these things. I'm not defined by my health. I'm not defined by my wealth. I'm not defined by my titles. I'm not defined by any of these things. I am defined by the Almighty. What a blessing that is. I only say that to say to you all, because there's some folks in here who know exactly what I'm talking about. But if I could share my story for a moment, there was a time in my life where I was afraid and there are many of us who live this right now. There are many of us who live in fear. There are many of us who are governed by fear. We are governed by the fear of losing our jobs. We're governed by the fear of losing our money. We're governed by the fear of losing our titles. 
We're governed by the fear of losing our marriages. And so we live a life that is governed by fear. And we wonder why we find that we live in an anxious culture, in an anxious society, one riddled by uncertainty, one riddled by anxiety, because there are many of us, we're holding on to those things because our identities are attached to those things. Ah, but take the person who's lost everything. Ah, when that person loses everything and they find who they are, that person has found everything. Everything. With me, that was what I learned. Because for a while, I lived defending my name, defending my title, defending my position, you know, I, I I wanted the PhD, so I got the PhD because I was afraid to be seen as someone who was incapable. I got married, fear of being alone. Right? I I, I worked in the music business, in the music industry. I was a producer. I wanted to make money. I had the fear of being broke. <laughs> and I was just governed and governed by fear. Fear drove me. And then when I gave my life to Jesus and when I went into ministry and I said, God, use me, I lost all of it. And when I lost all of it, I felt like I lost myself because up to that point, I attached my entire identity to it. But it's in the losing of everything that I discovered who God called me and who God declared me to be. And that's when I found everything. I remember sitting outside of a Panera Bread, and I remember one day finally seeing who I am in him. And it's when I saw who I was in him. This is when I had the eviction notice. I had to be, you know, the sheriff's letter was coming soon. Um, we had no power in the house, no water, no nothing. Um, you know, and, and I remember sitting there and I'm sitting outside of Panera Bread, and all I could afford is a $2 coffee. And I remember sitting down, realizing I'm about to be homeless again. And I don't know where I'm going to take my family because we've been homeless before. And I remember up to that point that I was wrestling, fighting, because I said, God, I thought you called me into ministry. You could at least take care of us. I thought you called me into ministry. You could at least, you know throwing us a bone here. <laughs> and it's in that moment. And I remember sitting there, I kid you not, my laptop was just stolen. My iPad was stolen. Anything that had my name on it was gone. And I realized in that moment, I had nothing. I had no reputation, no money, no title. The only thing I had left was my wife and my kids. And I remember being angry, upset. I was not a fun person to be married to. My wife will tell you that. She's probably on here right now. She'll probably like do a little praise hands thing, say that guy was not fun to be with at all. And that was who I was. And I remember the Lord revealing to me who I am when I had nothing. And yes, she did. She stayed. <sighs> Thank the Lord for that. 
because I lost it. <laughs> I understood the times. That's my ride or die right there. And it was when I lost it all, I discovered who I was in Christ. And I kid you not, family, from that moment on, I was free. Free, y'all. Free. To the point where I, I, I don't, I don't care about a dollar. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't stress over accolades and titles. I don't care. I don't even know what's happening on TikTok. I don't even know what's happening on IG. I don't get it. Because I, to be honest with you all, I don't really care too much. I'm grateful that the Lord is using me. But if I lost all the followers on TikTok and I lost all the money and I lost the church and I lost the... I've gained Jesus. I don't care. And that, my friends was what I discovered that day at that Panera Bread. And it was at that Panera Bread that I remember, that I realized in that moment that I've become one of the wealthiest people in the world. Because I've discovered peace. I've discovered Christ. And I've discovered who I am. And I think that's why sometimes people are confused with how I move. I'm not really chasing after anything. I'm not really chasing the bad kind. I just go with what the Lord, because again, I'm not identified by those things. And, I, you know, the Lord might bless me. He might He might open doors for me. He might do those things for me. I'll tell you right now, it's good. But I already know who I am. To God be the glory. There's a blessing in losing everything you may actually discover who you are. And there's a blessing in your time of pain and suffering. You may discover you're not defined by it. So let's discover Christ in the midst of that. Let's really learn to let go and actually let God. Let's really learn to just let go and actually say, God, you just tell me who I am. Just tell me who I am. Reveal to me who I am. And what God's going to show you is he's going to show you you're not connected to any of those things, that culture, that society, that the world has connected you to. And get this now, side note. You can't know who you are until you know who Christ is. Because if you're one in Christ, discovering God is going to be what the discovery of self is. Not to get too theological, but my God, when God reveals that to you, man, oh man, it sets you free. And yes, I remember being at that Panera Bread and I remember weeping like a little baby. And I'm sure they probably thought this big black dude over in the corner going through it. What they didn't know is that that big black dude in the corner was being set free. And I thank the Lord every day for it. And I hold fast to it. So hold fast to it.
Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you have brought us here. Lord, discovering as we read in Job, Lord, the necessity of letting go. Father, letting go of what everybody defines us as, what society defines us as, what culture defines us as, what people have defined us as, what friends have defined us as, what family has defined us as. But Lord, to strip those things away from us, pull those things away in a way that allows us to discover who we are in you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, of allowing us to journey through our pain, through our suffering, through the trials and the tribulations, Lord, and that even in the midst of that, we can find you. Be glorified. Lord, be glorified in the midst of it all. Lord, bless each and every person here, Lord. We look forward to meeting with you again tomorrow <laughs> and spending time in your word tomorrow. And as these words of Job are ended, we know, Lord, there's more to come, more to work through. And yet, what a victory we know we're going to encounter at the end of this reading. So we thank you in, in advance and we bless your name for it. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.